You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hey everyone, welcome to Music Tectonics, the podcast that goes beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host for this episode, Trista Neuer Jaeger, Director of Strategy at Rock Paper Scissors, the PR firm specializing in music innovation. Today, we're heading right to the molten core of what I hope will be a forward-thinking, wildly imaginative music future. We're joined by Sophie Huitbet. <laughs> I think I got that sort of close. Our first ever bonafide futurist on the podcast. Sophie is a senior advisor in media and technology at the Copenhagen Institute of Future Studies. She is particularly interested in the metaverse, media, entertainment, and gaming, and how technological innovation in these areas will affect us all as consumers and citizens. Thanks, Sophie, for joining us. Thank you for inviting. And wow, that sounded really cool when you were saying all those things. And the name was like completely spot on. Oh, that! Oh, you flatter <laughs> yeah. me. This, I've learned this about European guests whose names I mangle. They, they always let me get away with it, which is very kind of you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, first of all, Sophie, I'm sure the question that is on everyone's mind is what exactly does a futurist do? Well, yeah, and uh, I was wondering that before I came one myself. But actually what we do is that we think into different narratives of where the futures might head. Like, as you can hear, the, the, you, you mentioned our name at the Institute, that we're Copenhagen Institute for Futures Studies. So we don't believe that there is one future because there are several multiple, you know, plausible, um, preferable and uh, non-preferable futures. And we really need to look into those different futures. So what we do as futurists is that we try to, you know, identify the patterns, look into the biggest uncertainties and what kind of impact that, that might have, you know, in a more... 360 degrees. So how will that affect our society? How will that affect the way that we communicate, the way we work, you know, the way we live, the way we listen to music is definitely also a huge part of that. So that's kind of what I do on a daily basis. And then helping, of course, clients or organizations um, who want to know more about different areas. So where exactly do your, does your work fit into the innovation ecosystem? Where do you often find yourself invited into a process by an organization or company? And when do you often uh, leap in sometimes and insert yourself and be like, hey, we need to think about this? How does that work? So it's quite, actually, it's super individual when organizations start to consider, are we ready for the future? You know, should we maybe look a little bit further ahead than just, you know, the next two, three years? Should we maybe look into how society is changing and whether the services and products and whatever we do as a company is relevant in that future. And normally that has a certain size, you know, for companies to start thinking these things. But, you know, at a certain time, a person in a company starts thinking this and then they will often contact, you know, companies like ours that work with this, organizations. We're a, a non-for-profit organization that is member-based. Um, and, uh, you know, it might be that they have a strategy and they want to see is this strategy future proof. It might be that they're thinking we need to change. We can see the society is changing. We need to lean into these changes. Could you help us detect what are the biggest uncertainties? How could these different futures look like? What scenarios are we looking into? And we will start there. Um, it's kind of rare, I would say, that they are in an innovation process and then thinking we should have a futurist joining in. So it's more sort of on an overall perspective that people are inviting us in to sort of inspire, to make sure we look at the different risks that there are, uh, but also to inspire, obviously, to innovation and, and where to to be sure to make future-driven innovation. So it's not just, you know, innovating for the, 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 the customers that they are right now, 
but more for the future consumers. I don't want to ask you to give away all your secrets and the magic that I'm sure is involved in in, in working on a project. And you, as you mentioned, it's super individualized. But I'm curious, what kind of questions do you encourage people to ask? Like if, I, uh, if I'm now a, a music startup entrepreneur or someone in a music company or I'm thinking about um, technology, what are some good questions to start with? Well, to start with, obviously, now I'm talking about the future, but we mm-hmm. also always need to start in the, you know, what is the need in the future? The future consumer needs, you know, what is the behavior going to be like? Why are we creating these new things? Uh, so make sure that you're actually solving a problem, obviously, uh, to begin with. That's kind of a center of normal design um, processes as well. But when thinking about the future and having that involved, it's also like, you know, how will the different futures evolve? Because a lot of people tend to have an idea of what they think will happen. Like the future of the music is going to, you know, the, the, the future of music industry is going to look like this. And it's like, yeah, that's a plausible scenario. But have you thought, you know, have you thought about the different scenarios? How could these different scenarios look like? And I think uh, asking all those questions, and you mentioned earlier as well that I work with the metaverse a lot, and there are so many questions that need to be asked there. You know, like, how will this affect our lives? You know, how how are we going to, uh, how is it going to be governed? Uh, how how are people going to interact? And all these important questions that lean into the future are super important to, uh, to, to discuss. So I wouldn't say that there is one particular question, but obviously mm-hmm. asking why <laughs> and, and then looking <laughs> into the future consumers is really a good place to start. How do you think it's helpful for people to? All right, I, 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 I gotta lay my cards on the table here first. I'm a historian by training, and I often find there's some fascinating ways to understand the future by looking at the past, not as like a potential um, trajectory we can project into the future, but just as like a, a dynamic. Like, how have people muddled through these problems? You know, in the while being in the middle of them, a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, five hundred years ago. So So I'm wondering how uh, looking at some past formations and dynamics helps with a a futurist's job. We we actually work, we have obviously a lot of different, you know, tools that we are uh, working with when we work as futurists. So um, one of these things is also something we call the future triangle, where we look into, you know, what is the, the, you know, the, the push and the, from the, from the future and, and how does this, the, um, the history is kind of, uh, you know, re-strengthening us and what kind of, you know, things are happening in the now that is uh, sort of creating the way that, that that we work. And I think this way of, of being very aware that we have a future that is very important in where we are heading, but also, you know, figuring out how can we step out of, of, of this uh, limitation of all the things that have happened, all the bias, you might say, all the the way that has used to be, you know, has been done and the history that is laying upon our shoulders, uh, both in good and bad. And how do we sort of uh, look at all that push from the uh, uh, sort of uh, the drive from the future um, and look into that? So, uh, you know, there are different sort of methods and tools in order to to, to work with these things and and make sure also that we keep, uh, you know, history as part of what is going to happen when we work with that, but that we're not limited uh, to all that weight of the of, of, of the past, you know, because then that might limit our 
sort of experimentation and our imagination and creating sort of the future that we want instead of the future that we have seen already, you know, if you know what I mean, because we, yeah. somehow we have been colonized. Our brains have been colonized into thinking into futures in different certain ways. Mm-hmm. So, so totally like when you go to Google and you Google future city, you'll definitely see a very sort of uh, streamlined vision of some kind of metallic glass yes. futuristic future city. Why is this the picture that comes up and why is this the way that we think of the future city? Because this is not a desired future city. I don't think people want to live there. So it's kind of why are we not trying to challenge these things and moving a little bit away from history and think and rethinking or maybe even going way back in history and and see if we can get some inspiration from there or even moving you know towards uh, towards uh, you know nature that's something that we're working a lot with right now and seeing can we actually get inspired by nature again? Yeah, nature is. Um, I mean, in some ways, it seems like the future is going to be all about humans realizing that we are nature and therefore <laughs> our actions are defined in very different ways than we've imagined um, ourselves since maybe, I don't know, at least in European terms and since the Enlightenment, I think that's really when it came to a head, that sort of division uh, between the really artificial and the about, organic, yeah. right? Exactly. And that's really interesting when you talk a lot about tech, which I know that we're going to talk about because that's also something that is a big interest of mine, you know, how the technological you know, development is going to go and and people often have a tendency to think that nature and tech are sort of counterparts. But how can you actually sort of make those two combine uh, more and, and get the more, you know, get more natural with the way that we work with tech and integrate that into our lives? Absolutely. All right. We'll go deeper into tech in just a second. We're going to have a short little break and we'll be right back. Does your company belong at the center of the conversation about music, tech and innovation? Listen, you should consider sponsoring the Music Tectonics Conference. It takes place in person October 25th through the 27th, 2022, in the Music Tech Hub of Los Angeles. Top-tier sponsorships are selling fast, but we still have a spot for you, whether your business is a hungry startup or an industry leader already. Every sponsorship level comes with an exhibitor booth at the Lowe's Santa Monica Beach Hotel on October 26th, the main conference hub for keynotes and panels. Your company will be at this epicenter of music, tech, and innovation throughout the event. That's just one perk of being a sponsor at Music Tectonics. You could be a guest on this podcast or even play a role in conference programming. Interested? Let's talk. Go to musictectonics.com to start the conversation with our contact form. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back. We're back with Sophie, uh, our uh, for the moment, our resident futurist here at Music Tectonics. Uh, so we've been talking about some general ideas of how we can approach the future as a project of imagination and um, even planning. But let's get down to the nitty gritty of tech. So I would love to first open things up with the dreaded metaverse, um, the word that seems to mean everything and nothing. And, um, you know, I have to say it's a little bit disturbing for some of us to see the sort of tendency to want to just copy paste uh, (laughs) our current reality into some kind of very complicated, uh, compute demanding um, alternative version of of a reality without. uh, But what in the world 
do you think of when you when you think of metaverse, Sophie? You have to deal with this in a very concrete, professional way. Um, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about the metaverse? First of all, I love it that you say that you don't want to cover paste your physical sort of life into this virtual life because that is also a very limited way of seeing it. Absolutely. This is not just a, 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 you know, this is not a talk about how can we just move our lives as it is now and then move it into a virtual world. It's kind of like a whole new set of layers of on top of our physical lives and, and that is going to happen synchronously with our physical lives, but just on a virtual level. And it's going to, you know, have possibilities at least to to sort of um, give some extra dimensions, right? So the way that I see um, metaverse is much more than, you know, just VR or virtual worlds. It's this sort of new convergence of our physical and virtual lives where I think one of the really important aspects of this is how we we sort of value the things that are happening in these different spaces. Because what we can see is that we're starting to add some layers of value in the virtual spaces that have not been there before, like virtual ownership, you know, uh, virtual experiences, you know, virtual creation, uh, new ways to interact. Um, and this has a new set of value. So this idea that I guess most of the listeners of this podcast might have is that the physical somehow experience or the physical uh, things happening or the physical guitar <laughs> or whatever you might say in the music industry, the physical concert is more real than the virtual. I think we need to get away from that. We need to reevaluate this way of um, sort of putting value into things. Uh, and that is what's going to happen in the development towards the metaverse, where we all, where we're going to see things being much more three-dimensional, but we're also going to see some new infrastructures and understandings of value um, in this sort of direction. That is such a great point, Sophie. It makes me think, you know, we, we put so much value on the most... Uh, the, the most precise mimicry of uh, like an embodied experience or an IRL experience. And yet what the metaverse could pass and that layer could offer us is perhaps a greater communal um, ability to share subjectivity, right? So the emotions, the inner world that music can provoke and provide, the fantastic, the imagination um, that often is dwelling like in music, in the music experience. And so that is equally as authentic, right? We all feel those feelings authentically um, but it has nothing to do per se with the you know with the metal and wood of a guitar so um, it's kind of interesting to that this could actually enhance that whole side of our experiences that's that's anyway some of the positive sort of possibilities and yes. of what the metaverse can do because obviously there are both sort of dystopian and utopian visions of what this can do but i think that this is any this at least for me when talking about the metaverse and the direction towards the metaverse because in our sense here at the institute this the metaverse is not here yet so we talk about betaverses so it's kind of a pre-stage for what will come but it's the direction towards this sort of um, integration of, of more three-dimensional, um, what can you say, visualizations of or, or interaction in augmented or virtual ways, right, in, into our lives. And I think since, mm, you know, while talking, I've been talking on this for many years, but I still kind of miss words when I'm trying to explain it because mm -hmm. we haven't somehow found the right words 
to explain what is going to happen and how it's going to impact our lives. But I think it's really interesting. I Also, regarding the music industry, Live Nation and Snapchat just recently did a new partnership, right? Yeah. And they did a promo video. And it, the promo video is not what something they have done, but it's more their vision of what they want to do. And that's definitely just adding a lot of layers on top of, a, of, of, of for instance, a live experience. You know, so you have, and you can show your emotions, you know, with, with, with more physical ways and more creative ways, you know, and you can share that emotion with other people and your happiness with that. So it's going to be interesting to see how that will evolve. And if you look at some of the, you know, some of the, the uh, predictions, we don't do predictions at the Institute, really. We That's talk very more smart. About, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, I'm, it's brilliant. I'm believer in predictions which is kind of con- con- country counter what do you say counter uh, futurism but it's more <laughs> about the different nar- narratives right on where might this head right so but if for instance mckinsey and company they did like a, a report in here in june this year and uh, 2022 on the value creation the metaverse and they say there uh, and i quote by 2030 it is entirely plausible that more than 50 percent of live events could be held in the metaverse I mean, they put in a lot of things like could be here, but it is it is for sure plausible, right? Wow, and yeah. they also say that the average internet user might spend up to six hours a day in the metaverse experiences by 2030. Whoa. I mean, there is a lot of talk about this right now. And, you know, what, you know, 50% of that or, you know, six hours, nobody really knows. But it's more to say that we are definitely seeing a move towards uh, more interaction in new ways. So... This is kind of an, you know, this is an evolution that's going to take a long time. It's not a revolution, but for me, it's all about this direction that it's taking. You know, what, what, how should the you know, music industry, for instance, in this particular case, how should they position themselves in this movement? Where should they be in this? How, what to look out for right now, right? So if we're if we're thinking just in generally of like currents and directions and dynamics as opposed to predictions or solid like this is what the future will be like kind of ridiculous statements, how should the music industry position itself? Where are some potential places, room for improvement that you see um, based on sort of the current status quo that you think would lead to a better future outcome once we get into more of this like hardcore metaverse phase? I think one thing, and this is not just the music industry, this is basically all industries need to take the metaverse and the development more seriously in the sense of being careful not to see these things that we see now. Like if you only measure the metaverse by looking at how Justin Bieber did his entrance into the metaverse, (laughs) it's pretty pathetic, right? Because that was definitely one of those. Oh, Biebs. (laughs) That was one of those ways where he just, you know, he created a whole new virtual world that was just like a digital twin of the real world and it didn't work at all and there were no extra sort of it, it didn't add any value of any kind like extra value why why would you be the yeah it didn't make sense right yes. so when taking it seriously look what can it do what what kind of extra value what problem are you solving you know how, what could be interesting for the users to be engaged with and i think now we're talking about the metaverse as this immersive layer right but underneath that layer is the whole virtual economy with new relations, you know, being created between the artist uh, and and the and the audience, with NFTs, you know, with ways to sort of be able to interact in music DAOs, uh, the creator economy, all these things that are sort of disrupting the music industry right now, or at least have a potential to disrupt the music industry uh, on a longer perspective. Right? I think all industries really need to look into 
what does this mean? What what is this thing that is happening right now? And understanding that we talk a little bit about you know meta literacy or Web three literacy. We we need to learn the words. We need to see how it might affect us. And then in order to create a better future for the music industry, we need to take part of it. You know, so it's not just happening without uh, being really, um, you know, considerate about the consequences. Yeah, yeah I th- looking yeah. into the possible impact that it might have if we go this road, you know, what might happen if we take this road, what might happen? Yeah, I think that that there was there, there's a tendency towards or there has been in the past the, a history of reactivity to new technologies that caught the industry by surprise. I mean, that's like the Napster era. Um, yeah. And you know, we do, I think there is a lot more consciousness now, even among fairly traditional legacy big players that can't necessarily be as agile as, as they may want to be. Um, there's still a real, a bit of a, I mean, actually, uh, I'd say a sea change. Um, I'm trying to say, like, is it a little bit? Is it a lot? It's it's fairly significant change in attitude toward new technologies. But um, the problem is, maybe it's still not, maybe awareness isn't enough, you know, <laughs> that there's more that needs to happen to really yeah. give people the room to maneuver to react to some of these potential or, or to engage with some of these potential but, futures. Yeah, but, how, but, but how can you react to something you don't know what is? That's true. That's the, that's the basic, you know, if we talk metaverse, at least, you know, people, they don't really have any idea. They kind of put it into some boxes and then they're like, nah, I don't like that. You know, <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> and it's kind of, okay, so let's have a look at the bigger picture. You know, let's have a look at the potentials, you know. Of course, also look at the fails. We have seen, I, I can mention like tons of fails within the world of, of Web3 or or the metaverse, right? Where people are really failing, like Chris Brown NFTs or as I mentioned before, the Justin Bieber avatar performance. It's like, I don't know, that's not working. You didn't think this through, you know, and you haven't consulted with the right people. And failure is so, going to be so part of this experimental emer- like emergence, right? So we maybe yeah, we need and, to have a better and, and attitude to... towards the fails in some ways as a as a community. Sure. Sorry, I was like I was fail shaming the... there. That's my oh my no, bad. it's totally what good. I, mean also... I, I have the same <laughs> I have the same desire when I see something like oh man, really? <laughs> I get it. <laughs> and it's because it's really good that people try, but the problem is that when people try without really trying to grasp the whole sort of um what can you say the complexity of it and and the impact that it might have you know what and make the wrong choices based on a lack of understanding of the ecosystem and and all these things that are happening like like on on what blockchain should you sort of put your nft if you know like what kind mm-hmm. of how 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 should you make sure to make make this in the best way what value what value sorry does it add and all these things it it seems like that there need to be more focus on that because else we might just look at all these fails and say, this is not something that's going, this is just a fad. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at the hype cycle, right from Gartner's hype cycle, we are on our way down. Uh, Well, we probably still, I I can't really figure out where we are, right? With the metaverse because somehow it keeps on going up and I'm like, okay, it should be going down now. Like everything today, we're, we're, we're in a, a of in turbulence and volatility. <laughs> if you see, <laughs> <laughs> sure, but, but the, the, I think as a company or as somebody working in the music industry, be curious. You know, get to understand these things and test it out. Dip your toes. You know, it, it doesn't really cost that much to understand a little bit, and mm-hmm. that'll help you understand that some of the directions that it might take and some of the possibilities that it can give. You know, there are so many good examples out there 
on ways that it can add extra value. And I mean, for instance, the music, musicians want to have engagement with their audience, right? And that's basically what NFTs are all about. It's creating engagement and making sure that people, they get some sort of part of the being part of a co-creation. You know, that's anyway one of the things that it can give mm-hmm. uh, in the DAOs that you can actually be part of co-creating music. And now I know I might step some musicians over the toes or whatever you say. I <laughs> step on some musician toes here. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if that's a saying. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but uh, because, of course, it's a very individual process also to make music. But it's an interesting thing to see how that might change in the future. Um, yeah. With the way that we create music. Also, the whole you know, aspect of AI uh, and, and, and creating music with that um, yeah. is something that we have to be, in my opinion, uh, open towards and see the potentials and also, of course, the pitfalls, but, you know, trying to experiment a little bit with. Yeah, I, I so basically, if I can, the TLDR of some of what we've been talking about is if you're going to fail, fail like a boss. <laughs> Don't fail like Justin Bieber. Don't fail like the Biebs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on that on that helpful note, we're going to end we're going to wrap up this section and we'll have a little break. We'll be right back with more talk of the future in just a second. Whoa, the ideas are flying fast on this episode. If you want to follow up on anything we're talking about today, we've made it easy. Head over to musictectonics.com and find this episode on the podcast page. You'll see show notes full of links and a timestamped roadmap of the conversation. We're not responsible for internet rabbit holes you tumble down in the process. Now, let's get back to the conversation. Okay, we're back. We're back with Sophie of the um, <laughs> Sophie of the Copenhagen Institute of Futures Studies. Got to add that extra S; it's very important. Um, and I love that that S is there. All right, so. We've talked a lot about the metaverse. We've talked a bit about about what the music industry can do to start thinking itself into the right place to really embrace whatever this new layer is going to be in our experience. Um, let's talk a bit about the consumer side, Sophie, or I don't actually like, I hate using the word consumers when it comes to music, but the listener side, the experience side for the people who may not be um, running the show, but might be interacting with the show. What are some interesting um, technologies you see developing that you think will really have an impact on the direction of how we experience, interact with, um, and think about music? Hmm. Really good question, because it has so many interesting aspects. So to start mm. with the way that we interact with music, I was a little bit, I was, I was talking a little bit about it with the way that you might be part of a musician's project by being part of a DAO or, you know, having an NFT that's part of the project. Um, just to mention, uh, sometimes I also think that probably that's the same thing in all industries as well, right? To look at other industries and see how they do. But within the sphere of entertainment, um, you know, a lot of movies right now are also starting to create with nfts right and how you can as part of this nft Mm -hmm. create the storytelling of that so it's super interesting but um so the whole you know now you call them listeners or audience (laughs) music lovers (laughs) producers you know you know the term prosumers like and i know you don't Uh love the word that's okay that's just my that's just my hobby horse Yeah, so, uh, but anyway, you know, this whole idea of the, the, the sort of also a convergence there, right? Uh, between mm-hmm. the roles that are sort of being redefined, but also the, in the sense that you can actually, you know, maybe start making u- music yourself. So let's say you have a favorite artist 
And that favorite artist has said, it's okay that you use inspiration of my music to create your own music, let's say using an AI music generator, like Boomi, which is a, you know, like an AI yeah. uh, music generator that's actually, well, according to their own website, is making, has made like seven, what, seven million songs. And mm -hmm. it's around uh, 7% of the world's recorded music that they sort of have. And you can actually use that music and put it on Spotify and earn money even though you're not a musician, sort of say, let's say a traditional musician yourself. And we can see that in so many other areas, like with, um, you know, I don't know if <laughs> we shouldn't probably dive too deep into the AI, but like... Oh, um, yeah, we can dive deep into AI, like with the all the great stuff that's going on with Dolly. Like I've seen exactly. it being used by journalists to illustrate their little substack essays. I mean, people are, it's popping up everywhere. Totally. And you can also see that with GPT-3, that's also what, you know, absolutely, yeah. kind of a, you know, open AI, that's the, the, the company behind these things. And, and you have Midjourney, that's a, a, an equal sort of company. And, and you see this content creation many places, right? So that it makes it, it sort of democratizes in many ways, but it's also, we have a huge discussion here about the rights and, and the origin of yeah. this kind of content. Because when you make a DALI picture and you write, let's say you wrote an, a, a musician's name and then like something else, then it'll find that person's image, the musician's image and put it into that Dali picture, which is not a like it's it's not an actual picture. It's just made, generated by AI. Right. But it looks real. So mm -hmm. uh, is that one? Is that permitted? Uh, yeah. Who who's has who has the rights for these things? And I think it's kind of the same thing that's happening like all over the place right now with AI, like okay, we have to have a serious talk about the rights here. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and voice twins and all those things. Like how yeah, are, and, and how, yeah. There is a, in, in, the, in the UK, um, the voice actors, they have a union there and they just um, wrote like an open letter saying that they are really truly scared of AI. Like 90% of the people asked in a survey uh, said that they were afraid to lose their jobs because of AI, because AI can now take the voices and just replicate that. And that's the same thing in the music industry. You know, we have seen examples of new Nirvana, you know, numbers being made or whatever. You can actually create from an from a dead artist. You could create new numbers, a new new um, new songs, mm -hmm. right? Uh, who should be allowed to do that? And is that okay? Or will this be something that we will see? in kind of a near future, you know, a lot of AI created music from, you know, legacy bands and musicians. Yeah. It, I mean, there's a commercial and a cultural impulse to, to, to pursue those kind of things. And so it makes me think there needs to be a whole new class of licenses of, uh, you know, derivative works generated via algorithm or something like that, that allows people to play around with these things within certain boundaries, kind of like there's a, you know, like a, um, a fair use clause in, in um, U.S. copyright, right? So there's got to be a solution and something that might, you know, if you're going to make a, 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 I don't know, a Picasso-style painting of uh, Beyonce using Dali, like maybe Beyonce, Beyonce should get like, a, a, you know, a, a penny of and course. the photographer yeah. who shot the original portrait should get a penny or something like that, you know? Again, if you look into other industries, like Pearson, Pearson is like a... A publishing house with uh, books, right? So mm -hmm. if they, they, they're starting to look into Web3 now to make their digital uh, education books into NFTs so that every time people then s resell the, the digital book, uh, Pearson will get a cut. Yeah, so the, the secondary market right? is, is big the with books, yeah, and, and music. 
could it be music? You know, could you resell and, and could there be some interesting utility that you resell with that? And and then you can actually also create a dynamic of reselling by saying like, if you resell 10 things, then you'll get something extra value added or, mm -hmm. you know, there are some whole new dynamics here that we have to look into if that might sort of be interesting to look into. Yeah. And on the other side, I mean, this also is very relevant to consumer experience. Um, in both Europe and America, there's a lot of consolidation in um, in both the sort of entertainment, arts, literature world. So recently in the US, we've had like a big discussion about, well, in certain circles, a big discussion about uh, a merger of yet another set of publishers so that there'll be even less uh, competition among the ma major publishing houses for books in the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. And while that and, and what we're seeing and seeing a similar thing in music where there's consolidation and that leads to a real 1% tendency where there are these kind of hits. There are people that are, you know, kind of everywhere. And then all, there's all this other stuff. You're missing this kind of like fertile middle layer that used to produce some of the more interesting art, music, and sometimes the big hits as well. So it's a it's a really interesting time in that there's this huge democratization. There's this huge like opening of the floodgates of all these different tools and we can all make all these creative things. And yet there's this incredible consolidation Validation on the commercial front. How, like, what are the possible scenarios of this playing itself out? Do you, you know, how do you see this? And maybe the European perspective is a little bit different, but it's it's something that haunts Americans at the moment who think about these things. No, but I think it haunts the Europeans as well. <laughs> Glad we're in this together. <laughs> yeah, we're in this together. If you look at the media landscape, you know, obviously there are some huge players that are controlling so much of the traffic and so much of what we're listening to and all this algorithm. And, you know, we're talking about Spotify core algorithmic, you know, the way that that creates, yeah, as you say, like certain one hit numbers that are just very concentrated into a very little group and the middle layer might be falling out and then just a lot of creator economy, but it, creators and sort of music creators that n never necessarily go to that extra creative stage. I actually had uh, an interesting discussion just before joining you here at the podcast um, with some of the other colleagues at the Institute um, that I would say have kind of a dystopian view. They must be fun to hang around with at parties, right? Yeah, it, is. <laughs> it is. very. We have also a sci-fi writer in here. Nice. Very interesting too. <laughs> but now, um, I think, you know, Will the create, because that's, I think that's also what your question is all about, like what happens to the creativity and all these sort of more, you know, experimenting, like high quality musicians, will they sort of fade away in this process? Because th there's no ecosystem to hold them up. Like there is not enough uh, income somehow to keep them going on a, like getting to that middle layer. I'm not sure if that's how you define it kind of, yeah. but it's like, what, what, what 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 will happen to the way that you know will it just be this sort of flat sort of pop will pop be the main kind of mm, standardization or something like that and yeah. we'll never have huge interesting revolutions in music because these sort of middle layers they are not they won't create i don't i don't 
I don't, I don't think that. Yeah, I, I think not, people will always make music and they'll always write poetry and they'll always be doing crazy things with images. And, and exactly. I, I, I totally and I have think, faith in the human spirit there. My concern is also that consumers just won't know about it. Like there's no... It's very, I mean, maybe, again, this is, a you know, America, we often suffer from this um, very, I mean, we have a standardization sort of dynamic in our culture for, for hundreds of years for various complicated historical reasons we don't have to get into. But, um, you know, as someone who grew up in a small town, and um, for me, finding culture was always a struggle. Um, and I feel like we're heading back to that place, even though everything will be available, if you don't know what to search for, you don't know that this music is out there or that these amazing images that are out there or that you know you could create you know what i'm saying like i feel that, like there's that, 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 yeah. that's where you undermine ai and the digital assistants and curators of the future in mm. my opinion yeah there are many futures i can see where you know we figure out a way to make interesting algorithms that can help you find that yeah you know, because right now it's kind of like all everything is being mainstreamed yeah yeah but an algorithm is only what you code it to do absolutely you, know? so you can code it to really uh, because that's also i have another discussion with a friend of mine who's a producer and who's a really anti-ai kind of guy <laughs> very much into that we have to create our music mm -hmm. and you know the the, the the we'll lose this original creativity if we get too much help of AI or, you know, but I see it more as tools that we have to understand how we can use. Um, and I think that, you know, this whole idea of making, I also talk about public service algorithms. That's in a very European. I love it though. Perspective. Tell me more. Making, yeah. So, you know, right now algorithms is all about this whole attention economy. And if you look at, for instance, the, you know, when you go to TikTok, they're ex excellent example, you know, they'll just guide you more, 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 more of that. Maybe a little bit of commercial more, 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 right. Why not have an algorithm that says like, okay, so, you know, I want 50% uh, of that. I want 20% more. That's like super over in one experimental side. And then I'd like to add a little bit of, of spice over here. Please give me, you know, the feed that's, you know, being controlled by this. I would love to know what's happening in the underground. I would love to know what's happening in, I don't know, someplace in Asia. What? You know, mm -hmm. Why not? It, it's, and I think that those things, once we start understanding the possibilities of algorithms and our possibilities of these, this way of curating that used to be the DJ, yeah, you know, at a radio station. But why can why can't we put some of that sort of uh, quality into the algorithms as well? I love then it. You'll be able to find that that the, you the curiosity, young, the curiosity yeah, provoker. Was, you know the the, the I thing had that one radio channel, right? I yeah, had one radio channel, kind of. You know that, that played kind of my music, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. In Denmark, it's ah, is that good? Was that good? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I and it's it's I love this idea of of designing an algorithm that's meant to provoke curiosity or that it maybe is meant to address um sort of like Dali you can put in different inputs like what if you're like I'm feeling sad or like as I'm thinking about young people like I have I have two kids and I'm thinking you know I'm feeling worried about climate change and it's an algorithm that could guide you credibly through some interesting um ways to approach hope or optimism or um, solutions or, you know, technology that might counterbalance these things. You know, so I, I feel like you're right. There's it's still such a fertile field and we've just plowed one furrow. We haven't gone very far. Um, and, and it's a matter of reframing how we think about algorithms. I love that. Thank you. That that that, that makes my day better right there, Sophie. <laughs> <laughs>
not it's not my job to make people's uh, you know date better necessarily but i definitely would wish that we would be open to and more explorative about the possibilities again you know both as as individuals as the audience you know what can this what might this give to me as extra features but also as an industry and looking into some of these things so i'm gonna make you hopefully not get too many eye rolls from your dystopian colleagues. Um, But I would love to close up our conversation, which is, I mean, we could talk obviously hours about this. And I'm sorry that we have to wrap things up here. But I'd love to ask you our one of our favorite questions here uh, on the Music Tectonics podcast, which is we're gonna get a little sci fi. Can you describe a potential future that involves music tech that makes you feel excited? Like, I really hope we can pull this particular future off. Is there anything that comes to mind? Well, apart from the algorithm that we just talked the about. The magical curiosity algorithm. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> that could, you know, help us, make us, you know, give us so many new aspects that, you know, we can't find right now. That would be amazing, right? Um, and it has to be a positive thing, you say? Well, you know, you can, you can, it's okay. We can get a little dark here. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Because one thing that I think we haven't discussed and that I think is interesting, both regarding you know, the, the metaverse and, and how we're going to experience music in the future is, is a sort of this brain to machine. Sort of, yeah. Uh, you know, this, 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 these things that uh, Elon Musk is working on with, his link, <laughs> with implementing stuff inside the head and being able to communicate, you know, in different ways and yeah. interact with things. Imagining, I think that in, when you were saying two, 2050, like 50 I years don't know. Now, yeah. Let's, let's go for 50 years from now. That's a great number. Just like, in order to be more creative on what we could do, you know, uh, when you can actually listen to music inside your head and then share it with others or interact together uh, on that kind of like a next kind of level, I think that could be kind of beautiful. Yeah. And interesting thing and a very intimate thing and also a very scary thing. But <laughs> yeah, when, when you get hacked, it's not very fun. <laughs> exactly. But obviously we would have uh, hopefully some kind of technology that would solve that issue. Uh, but this whole idea, we have so many barriers right now, uh, hardware, physio- you know, physiological barriers. And it could be interesting to sort of overlook that and see, okay, so what if we didn't have that? Because right now people are also talking about when they talk about the metaverse, nobody's going to put on like, okay, one of my favorite cases on, on VR and music is um, Megan the Stallion's Into the Hottieverse mm-hmm. tour that is like, coming in in the second sort of generation now that she's like continuing to push this with hoddy mounted displays yeah Have you heard about that yeah, yeah they're actually a client so <laughs> ah, oh, I... that's good but it's super interesting right so but what i really love is is you know this way of interacting with the artists and mm-hmm. you know but when you experience that you have to wear this headset inside yes. the cinema where everybody's sitting with this heavy headset and Everybody who's been in a VR headset, for instance, training, I do my rowing routine inside a, a VR headset, which is really interesting. Wow. I row on Mars and stuff like that. It's oh, really fun. fun. But, <laughs> yeah, but it can be. But after like, I don't know, 20 minutes of rowing, it's it, I almost can't see anything anymore. So and I I, I haven't tried the Into the Hardiverse tour. You must you have to tell me how I can actually try that out. Oh, time. But, we'll see um, if we can get you hooked up. It's it's pretty yeah. phenomenal. It's a it's an unforgettable experience to have Megan kind of staring you right in the face and being like, here's my music. It's intense. Exactly. And also, as I can see, you have to sort of interact with stuff. You have to use your hands and you have to like sort of, uh, you know, and I think that, you know, you probably sweat a little bit in that experience as well. <laughs> with any luck and at all. VR, 
Yeah. <laughs> and VR goggles are not optimal for that. So yeah. point being, let's move apart from the thought. Let's take our thoughts when we move forward. It could be amazing that we could start thinking without all these physical hardware barriers. Yeah, the the idea of I think actually in a, one of our podcast episodes we talked to um, Dr. Kate Stone who talks about how her vision for the future is a room full of ordinary objects that can do extraordinary things thanks to the technology that's kind of deeply embedded in them. Um, and you know, putting something in your head, you can't get more embedded than that. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> I'm getting a headache just thinking about it. Uh, anyway. <laughs> On that, on that, like, good. You didn't go too dark. You went, you went sort of just like shades of gray here, which is perfect, Sophie. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation about the future and music and tech and all that good stuff. Thanks for inviting. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.